Happy Friday and welcome to the Beat of Sports. I'm Mark Daniels. Chris Vasquez is sitting in for Scott Harris, uh, enjoying a well-deserved day off. In fact, he's going to enjoy Monday off as well. So Chris is here with us today and tomorrow. And uh, that is always good for Chris because he has free reign of the music library. And while Mike and I joke about his selection on the bridge, uh, Chris actually does a great job picking music. But uh, welcome. Good to see you. You as well, Mark. I've not seen Chris Vasquez since uh, he has visited uh, the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. Yes. Um, that, it, that's the first football game you've missed since you've been producing our games, right? Correct. And Scott Harris filled in for you well last Saturday, and that's because you went to Green Bay. Absolutely. So, we'll get to the game in a second. Okay. Tell me... Uh, was it a group of people? I mean, who, who was involved in this trip? Where'd you go? When'd you get in? What'd you do? So it was just me and a friend of mine. Uh-huh. He's a fellow Cowboys fan. We got in on the 11th, which was a... Now, you've gone to Cowboy games before. You've gone to yes. Dallas. So so it's like trying to find a game a year to go to. Is that pretty much Yeah, it? pretty much. Like, we've already got next year's game planned out on where we want to go. We want to go see Buffalo up in Orchard Park. Except so. when it's thunder snow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so you planned on going. Uh, was it easy to get tickets? Uh, tickets, you know, trying to find because they're sold out. Essentially, course, they're sold out. Yeah. So, you know, finding them on the secondary market where yeah. we were sitting, you know, it it got up there in price wise, but it was it was a blast. But you had them before. Yeah. It's not like yeah, you yeah. went up there without no, 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 tickets. No. Yeah, just, yeah. Okay. All right. So, so, so when did you go up? So we left on Friday. Mm-hmm. We got in about Friday night. Went and just kind of checked out a bar. Went to Milwaukee. Drive to Green Bay. Or what nope. did you do? We flew in right into Green Bay. Right into Green Bay. Okay. We had about an hour layover in Chicago. Okay. Uh, we got in. Friday night, went to a bar, hung out for a little bit. Saturday, had to take a tour of Lambeau Field. Uh huh. Started snowing on us while we were down on, like, they won't let us go on the actual field, but we were on the outskirts. So you took an actual tour, yes. not just go by the stadium. You're able right. to go, okay. Yeah. So, how, how was that? The history, the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. everything about it, it, it was incredible. And the people of Green Bay, was, at least Green Bay, Wisconsin, yeah. they are super friendly. Right. They're very passionate about one thing, and that is Green Bay Packers football. Right. What's the neighborhood around Lambeau Field like? <laughs> game day was incredible. Mm-hmm. Everyone. But I mean, Saturday you go there, and I'm sure they're setting up for game day. But is it just like a quiet little town around there? Yeah. It's not. I mean, yeah, nothing. Imagine nothing crazy. Downtown Green Bay is not full of skyscrapers and things like that. No, really, didn't see anything yeah. crazy Saturday, and then come Sunday, yeah, it was. You had people. You know, there's. Uh, Neighborhoods on the main roads, right? And people were just pulling into the front their front yards. They're tailgating. Everyone's super friendly. Go join them, have a beer, hang out. So they had the full pregame festivities at Lambeau Field. Yeah. Um. Cowboy fans, which a lot of travel them. well. What was it like among Packer fans? Everyone was getting along just fine. Yeah. There was no, like, you're an idiot, you're going down. Right, but a high number of Cowboys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say probably about 65-35 Packers to Cowboys. No, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> it seemed like it. Everywhere we were turning, there was Cowboys fans. Okay, and, and where were your seats? We were sitting in Section 310. I think that was north corner end zone. Okay. Not a bad seat at all. Right. You could see the entire field very, very well. Didn't need binoculars or anything. There's not a bad seat in Lambeau. And there's something unique about the 425 start at a place that just gets dark early and it's cold and it's football, right? The only thing that was missing was snow. Okay. It snowed Saturday. Yeah. It snowed Monday. It Uh snowed Tuesday, but it didn't snow Sunday. Okay. Uh, 
concessions? Did you buy outside of we beer? Were, or did you eat? Did you eat something traditional or what? We were way too invested in the game. Mm-hmm. So we got in. We bought a beer. Sat in our seats. Actually, we didn't even sit the whole time. Yeah. Halftime. Went to the restroom. Took all of halftime to get through. And we went right back to the seats. Right. Now, the game doesn't end the way you want it. But if you're going to go travel and see your team play... It wasn't a bad game to go to. The an overtime game. Yeah, two teams of that magnitude: Cowboys, Packers. The prime, essentially, the game of the week. Yeah, thirty million, oh. twenty nine point nine million people watched that. Oh, it was great. So, as a uh, as a passionate Cowboy fan, what did you make of Mike McCarthy's call on fourth down? Uh, I'm blaming Kellen Moore. Okay. On third down and fourth down. Okay. You have a third and three, knowing damn well you're going to go for it on fourth down if you don't get it. Why are you not running the ball with Tony Pollard, who's been averaging five yards a carry? Yeah. Okay. Uh, And then the Packers win. Yeah. And for a brief moment, Aaron Rodgers was Aaron Rodgers, you know, making some big throws in that game. At the end of the fourth quarter, the Packers play calling, you know, Aaron Rodgers has... What a couple of timeouts, maybe one timeout. Yeah. He's got over a minute to go. That's typically what Aaron Rodgers does. Yeah, yeah. And for them to take it to overtime, kind of, yeah, kind of confused me. So again, despite the outcome, great experience. Absolutely. Right? I mean, everything that you could have wanted to go and experience, and and again, your team didn't win, but a great game. I mean, great trip, right? The Packers. They're what now? Three and three and seven. Three and seven last night. Yeah. You would not the way their fans share. You would not. Oh yeah, that's. It was a great atmosphere. I would do it again, 10 out of 10, Green Bay, Wisconsin, go to a game. Right, and and it's a classic case of you don't measure that team, for example, by the television market size because it's the entire state of Wisconsin and portions of the Midwest. The team just happens to play in Green Bay, Wisconsin. You know, it's kind of like Tuscaloosa is not the largest city in the state of Alabama. There aren't many large cities, but it is not the city that's a, uh, 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 the key component. It's the entire state and beyond. It's Packer fans across the country. So yeah, yeah. And then we kind we had a uh, we had a dumb moment after the game. You know, we're Ubering everywhere, so we're trying to be smart and walk away from the stadium mm-hmm. so we can order our Uber and not have to deal with traffic. Yeah. So we're walking for about twenty twenty five minutes, going through some neighborhoods, and we get to one point. I'm like, damn it. We just did a complete circle, hmm. and we're going right back to where we wanted to avoid. Okay. Well, happens. You know, you're not familiar with the area, so uh, it's all good. By the way, the Packers' loss last night gives the Chicago Bears an opportunity to do something. Do you know what that is? One more time. The Packers' loss last night gives the Chicago Bears a chance to do something when they play the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday. Do you know what that is? That would be ahead of the Packers in the standings. Uh, in all-time wins in NFL history, the Packers and Bears sit at 786. The Bears can overtake the Packers uh, with a win on Sunday for most all-time wins. Can you guess the top five in NFL all-time wins? By team? Yeah. Packers Packers and Bears Bears are tied with 786. Can you guess who's three, four, and five? 49ers are seventh. Okay. Dallas Cowboys? 
No. Uh, the, the the challenge of the Cowboys are 13th is okay. to go back and, and think of the teams yeah, so that have been in existence the longest. Actually, I'll say the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, which is not a bad guess based on their history. They're ninth, one-time Chicago, before yeah. going to St. Louis. Uh, for the sake of time, the Giants are third, 7-13. The Steelers at 655, and Washington, once Redskins, now Commanders, at 622. Eagles, Niners, Rams, Cardinals, and Lions round out of the top ten in uh, all-time wins. Packers did lose last night to Tennessee. You can answer that, Chris. I'm able to handle the show. <laughs> Chris answers the hotline. Um, the Packers fall to three and seven with the loss uh, last night, and uh, a humbled Aaron Rodgers didn't rip teammates. Just kind of said, "Time off, maybe good," and uh, got to crank it up. If you just assume that you're going to need ten wins to make the playoffs, then the Packers have to win out. And it's Mike and I were briefly talking uh, during the bridge. No one talks about Tennessee. And I'm not saying that you should think they're overwhelming favorites, but did you know last night, Chris Vasquez, the 24-point score by the Titans was a season high? Mm. And they're 7-3. and three. <laughs> They're an ugly team. But they're 7-3. and three. It's an ugly 7-3. and three, but, but they play defense that... that, and if they win the, uh, a division, which they probably will, they're going to be hard to beat at home. Yeah. Yeah. So Mike Rabel's very, very good at what he does, and um, they are 7-3. and uh, three. Paul Goldschmidt and Aaron Judge named MVPs. Did you see the story about the guy that has home run ball number 62 turned down $3 million? Yep. And now we'll go to auction. I would think, I would think that um, he has spoken to experts that tell him you can do better than $3 million. Uh, it's a lot of money to turn down, but I, I I would assume that he has spoken to people that say, hey, I think that ball is going to do significantly better. How much better? I don't know. But well, All right, so if you're in his position, would you rather turn down the $3 million, see what it can fetch at auction, talk to the Yankees, talk to Aaron Judge, and see? Oh, no, the, uh, the Yankees and Judge have already passed on. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, then never mind. Forget that. Yeah, would you rather. And, and I don't know the specific details of the auction, but you can set a minimum bid. And, and, and you know maybe it's three million and anything above that. So yeah, mm. yeah. If you're him, you set that minimum bid at three million. Yeah. Um, and I mentioned with Mike the controversy now the World Cup forty five hours before it begins, and uh, Qatar and FIFA announcing that they've reversed course and will not be selling beer at the stadiums, although in the luxury boxes where government officials and the royalty they'll have all the booze, beer, and whatever you want, but. Uh, InBev, Budweiser, has a $75 million sponsorship package with FIFA. You probably have an issue with the decision this morning. <laughs> Just a slight one. J.C. Carnahan, uh, on what is not a normal week of high school playoff action, juggling of schedules because we had games moved to Monday, and a lot of inside stories as to what happens uh, to get to tonight and the weekend. And we'll break it all down with a high school playoff preview next. It's time to preview the night of high school football action across Central Florida with the Orlando Sentinels' J.C. Carnahan. Be sure to check out the Sentinels' coverage at orlandosentinel.com and click on the Varsity section. Come on, man. And with the local DBC news, Eric Kuhn 
So big, he's got his own playlist. Uh, J.C. Carnahan, who covers high school football for the Sentinel, and uh, today, LL Cool J. Uh, J.C. was just chatting with Chris, a couple of uh, sad cowboy fans. We don't need to. We don't need to relive it. Well, I, 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 I just sharing that you guys were probably talking a little cowboys right there. Yeah, we talked a little bit of cowboys there for sure. And you know, you talk about LL Cool J though, real quick. I mean, being a kid uh, at a time when Run DMC and LL Cool J and the Beastie Boys, uh, you know, kind of crossed over into the mainstream of of uh, music as an elementary school kid, uh, that was a lot of fun, man. So. Uh, yeah, shout out to the old school. Um, I'm going to try to do this. I want to run through, if we can, last week, then get to the news that gets us to this week's schedule, which is, again, adjusted because of catching up with a storm, and we had some news uh, beyond just scheduling. So so uh, allow me to do this. Let me run through. Last Friday, Osceola beats the land 30-28. Rick Darlington loses by two, but, man, what a run for them, and, and, and the Cowboys survived last week. Yeah, look for DeLand next year to be a very, very good football team. I mean, they've got, they've had only 11 seniors on that roster, uh, this season and their, their, their junior class, uh, they just got some standout studs, uh, that, uh, you know, made some huge plays for them on, on a Friday night. But it was special teams for Osceola that really, uh, put them in position, uh, you know, to come away with that 30 to 28 win. Uh, they got a, 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 a kickoff return for a touchdown. And then another kickoff return that was brought down to about the 10-yard line that resulted in a field goal. That's 10 points right there. Uh, that's probably what the deciding factor was in that one. We'll get to what happened, Jones, off the field. On the field Saturday, a Popka-Jones, a Coe win. What stood out about the, those games? Well, I mean, the one thing that stood out about uh, the uh, Jones game was they've made a change at quarterback, which is a, a crucial part to how far they might go in the postseason. Uh, Chris Tooley uh, is the team's best cornerback. Well, he's at quarterback right now, and uh, in the three games he's played so far this year, I believe he's over 300 yards passing and 50 yards rushing in each of those games. And um, he accounted for four touchdowns last week in the win against Wakaiba. On the flip side of that, the defense um, it, you know, is, is, is holding teams to 14 points or fewer uh, in like eight or nine games this season. So uh, they did it again on uh, Saturday night. Monday, uh, Lake Mary Oviedo Winter Park win. We surprised one. Lake Mary wins 20 nothing over Haggerty. Winter Park beat Lake Brantley 31 nothing, And then Oviedo beats Tampa Wharton 22-21. Yeah, I think the uh, games that really stood out to me on the on the Monday night, uh, Seminole had to go up to Jacksonville. Uh, they, they it, you know, it was a back-and-forth battle mm-hmm. in the second half there. Uh, Seminole pulls it out 30-28. to um, and uh, they they finally get a chance to come back home in, in the uh, next round against Lake Mary. I wasn't surprised that Lake Mary did what they did to Haggerty, but the other game, there was a lot of people around the state that I was talking to who figured that Tampa Wharton would uh, be too much for Oviedo. Oviedo was down 14 points in that game. They forced overtime, went for a two-point conversion, got it done, went at 22-21, to uh, so hats off to, to uh, Oviedo. All right, let's get to this week, and not just the games, but scheduling challenges again because of the storm and when teams could play. But um, I know you wrote about this. You've been put on social media. We had the incident at Jones last week. It brought up questions about when, where to play this game. What can you share about ultimately the decision to do what now the scheduled has of playing tomorrow morning? Well, when you look at the teams that played on Monday, uh, there you, you, know, you got Seminole, Lake Mary, Winter Park, Oviedo, um, it was automatically decided that those teams then would would play instead of on Friday would play on Saturday. 
So Friday night was already out of the uh, you know of, uh, and of course discussion when it comes to to uh, those teams playing uh, in the second round. And now uh, it was a situation when you talk about at Jones um, on Saturday night there was a shooting in the parking lot um, at uh, Jones High School towards the end of that football game. I actually was standing in the end zone about 30 yards away from where where the fence and the parking lot. Uh, you know, just I'm, I'm I'm like that far away from where the incident happens, and um, you know, the there's there were supporters at Oviedo that were concerned about, well, you know, going to Jones and uh, playing the game there based on what happened last Saturday, um, and you know, so that they wanted the game moved. Jones felt, hey, we oh, you know, we deserve to play the game at home. We earned home field advantage. Um, you know, if there's concerns, safety concerns on one side, you got to imagine that. Jones wants to be just as safe as anybody else uh, based on what happened uh, in the parking lot. And so that game is going to be played at 10 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, but not solely because of the shooting. You also have the Florida Classic that uh, kicks off, off at 2.30 in the afternoon on Saturday. So it's a lot of, um, you know, all the discussion that went into, you know, where and when that game is going to be played. Uh, the Florida Classic was also, you know, a factor in that. So you have uh, Winter Park playing at Apopka on Saturday night, uh, and then you have uh, Lake Mary at Seminole on Saturday night as well. The other games uh, will 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 be uh, played on Friday night as scheduled. All right, let's run through some of these, and we'll get back to some of these games you mentioned scheduling-wise. Class 4M in Region 1, uh, Lake Mary against a Sanford Seminole team that was pushed in Jacksonville when they played at Mandarin uh, last week. Uh, thoughts on this one? Well, I mean, you know, the you know the major thought on this one was, look, I saw these teams play um, back at the end of October at Lake Mary, and Seminole ran away with it, 43-6. to uh, They've got seven wins in a row in the series right now. Um, both teams have young quarterbacks who, who are you know, pretty much coming up with big, big, big plays to kind of keep the season alive, uh, you know, of course, for them. I think that it's a, you know, like mentally, can Lake Mary mentally get past the hurdle that is just, just Seminole uh, dominating in the series so far? Um, and, and you know, but really on paper, it looks like that uh, you know this this should be a win for Seminole when you look at it. You know, look at it just in terms of recent history. So, uh, but no, but no matter how it shakes out, the game that I was at in the end of October, the fans for both teams were just. I mean, it was an electric atmosphere at Lake Mary, and I expect the same uh, to be true. Uh, you know, of course, uh, on the Saturday night at Seminole. Quickly, ten o'clock hour. WYGM Orlando, WJRR HD two Cocoa Beach Orlando Sports Leader Mark Daniels will be the sports. JC Carnahan, the Orlando Sentinel High School Football Playoff Preview. It's a great matchup. Winter Park ten and one. They'll play at a Popka and uh, two proud programs. Should be a great game. Yes, yeah, is the first time these two teams have played since uh, the the twenty twenty quarterfinal round. A Popka won that game thirty three to seven. And look, last week I you know I you know I mentioned. We, you know, we don't know, you know, is Apopka continuing to improve each week? Well, the defense, you know, seemed to show that, you know, because they held, they held, held, held a boon to only one score last week. Uh, they're going to have a tougher time, though, against the Winter Park offense uh, that's much more versatile than uh, Boone was. So, they, you know, they can throw the ball, they can run the ball, they've got a lot of skill position players that can do some big things. And on defense, Winter Park's playing real well on defense this year as well. So you got two tough defenses. Uh, the edge would go to Winter Park's offense, but as you know, we see this year in and year out. You can never really count out in a Popka team. Uh, it's just a program thing, um, and so that's yeah, that, that's that's a great matchup there. Uh, you know, of course, between two Orange County schools. We talked about a Coe and strength of schedule. Here's two seven and four teams and neighboring rivals that Coe will play at West Orange tonight. 
Yeah, well, sort of. You know, this is the game I'm going to be covering uh, most certainly. And much like the Lake Mary Seminole game, West Orange has kind of been in Okoe's head, I guess you could say. I mean, they've got four wins in a row uh, over Okoe by just a staggering margin, 138 to 17. And uh, you know, look, it came down. You know, when it came down to the district championship between these two teams on November 1st. Uh, West Orange ran away with it, man, and that's how they have home field advantage in this game. Um, and so, again, like I said about the Lake Mary Seminole thing, this is a matchup where, um, you know, uh, like we started to kind of fall off towards the end of the season and West Orange started to really rise towards the end of the season. Um, so, you know, no matter what happened as the season wound down, I just hope that, that, that we get a good one tonight. Someone look and say, wait a minute, uh, Treasure Coast is 4-6, and six, so play at Osceola should be a cakewalk for the Cowboys, but there's a reason you're still playing this week. Yeah, you know, tough schedule for Treasure Coast. Uh, you know, of course, I, 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 you know, if I remember correctly, they started the season with losses in back-to-back weeks against Seminole and Osceola. So the first game of the year, they lost 14-5 to five to, uh, at, at Osceola. Um, so it's kind of tricky when you talk about, you know, of course, a rematch. Uh, playing playing a team twice in the same year. And the one factor, though, that is in Osceola's favor in this game is that Treasure Coast runs the same sort of offense that DeLand runs uh, because, basically, Treasure Coast learned the offense from Rick Darlington. Um, so Osceola's going to see basically the same sort of team um, you know, that they played not only earlier in the year, but just the same sort of team that they played last week. So um, that should be, a, you know, a, of course, a hard-fought game. Um, the one note in this game, Osceola was without one of its uh, D1 defensive ends, uh, Derek LeBlanc, and he is expected to uh, return for, the, for uh, tonight's game. Class 3M Region 1, it could end up being a local matchup next week, uh, but Tampa checks at Edgewater tonight big because Scott Harris is going to be in attendance tonight at the Edgewater game. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's funny because <laughs> I think last week, it was either last week or the week before, uh, before I went on the air with you, you know, he, like we actually talked about that. He's like, "Yeah, I live right next to the school. I don't know why. You know, you know why I haven't been to a game." Well, he's going to pick a good season, or, or you know, of course, a good game to go to. This Tampa Bay Tech team is really good, by the way. Um, and 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 so, you know, this is going to be. You know, this should be a great matchup. Edgewater, um, you know, they they are running the ball so well this season. Uh, over 250 yards averaging in the run game, and that's even without uh, Cedric Baxter Jr. Uh, playing towards the end of the of the uh, season this year, he did return in limited time last week in a blowout win for Edgewater. So expect him to uh, you know be relied upon much more. Uh, you know, of course, in that game tonight, man. So that should be a really good matchup. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm predicting that Scott has a great time tonight. We mentioned how and why this game's being played tomorrow morning, but now give me the football observation of Obito and Jones. Yeah, you know, as I mentioned, I mean, you know, the thing that stands out to me uh, for, you know, for Jones, this is, you know, I've, I've, look, I've seen Jones uh, three or four times this year. I've been to Jones High School for games, um, you know, of course, this season and many times in recent years. Um, what stands out to me, they look a little, just a little bit different than they looked earlier in the season. And I mean that in a, in a very positive way because when you have an athletic quarterback, a senior quarterback like Chris Tooley, uh, who's put in place, he's he, – He's making better decisions uh, and, and, and putting the team in good position to win. That's going to be the key. And as I mentioned about the defense, and to hold teams to 14 points or fewer in nine games, that's crucial. On the flip side, Oviedo's got a very talented uh, offensive defense, too. Very balanced on offense. Jackson Latour at quarterback, he's got 24 touchdowns uh, this year. DJ Scott has had a heck of a season, um, you know, for the second year in a row, really, at running back. He's over 1,100 yards rushing and 14 touchdowns. 
So, um, but you know, so so that's the matchup there. It's, you know, these offenses and defenses have been playing really well, and now hey, something's got to give on on uh, Saturday morning. Uh, Class 2M Region 1, Bishop Moore, back in the playoffs. They'll play uh, at the Bowl School in Jacksonville, historically one of the better programs. They're 7-4 and four this year. What's the challenge for Bishop Moore on the road? Well, I'll tell you what. I think that uh, that this region this year for Bishop Moore is really seeming to fall in uh, the Hornets' favor because last week uh, they won pretty handily at Bishop Kenny, who was the number two uh, team in the region. Bishop Moore is number seven. They go back to Jacksonville, and I think they have a good chance to uh, hang with Bulls and potentially pull out a win there as well. Uh, you know, the, you know. Uh, I mean, I said that maybe a few weeks ago, but um, the way that the uh, region is 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 a shaking out for them, the winner would actually play the number five team, Jacksonville Reigns, or the number eight team, uh, Jacksonville Riverside. So this region is really uh, anyone's to uh, you know, you know, you know, to a uh, grab, and uh, I think Bishop Moore has a good chance in this one. Uh, let's go class uh, 1M Region 1, Orlando Christian Prep. Talk about a challenge at uh, historically one of the better small programs in not just the state but country. They'll play at Trinity Christian in Jacksonville. Yeah, this is a rematch of the state semifinals last year. OCP fell just short, 29-21. to 21. The thing that really um, bothers me about these matchups in, 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 in the class 1M Region 1, Orlando Christian Prep is the number four seed in this region. But the, and, and then the number three team is the First Academy. We're going to talk about them in a second. And but OCP beat the First Academy uh, to win the district championship. But the rankings have uh, the First Academy a spot ahead of OCP, and that forced OCP to go on the road uh, in this tough matchup against Trinity Christian. Um, look, you know it's going to be tough for both of these small school teams uh, to pull out wins. Uh, you know, you know, of course, this week when you look at uh, Trinity Christian averaging forty. Point five points and two hundred two rushing yards per game this season. First Academy, let me correct. It's University Christian that's been the powerhouse, and that's who First Academy plays on the road in Jacksonville. Well, look, I mean, look, man, they've both been great. Uh, you know, so in recent years, I mean, you can't really go wrong with either one of them. Uh, it's the first meeting, you know, between these teams since uh, back-to-back games in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, um, and you know, a <laughs> University Christian has a heck of a running back uh, that's over sixteen hundred yards. 26 touchdowns this season. Um, I think it's going to probably be too much for TFA to keep up with. But, hey, it's high school football. You never know. Roll the dice and see how they uh, fall for you. It's going to be a busy night and weekend. we got games uh, tomorrow, and then hopefully uh, weather behaves around a normal schedule uh, for next week. Please check out J.C. Carnahan uh, on Twitter, J.C. Carnes, and the great work uh, at the Orlando Sentinel at OS Varsity. Uh, enjoy the night and weekend. We appreciate it. We'll talk next week. Appreciate it, guys. All the best to you. Uh, J.C. Carnahan, a fellow sad Cowboy fan with uh, Chris Vasquez. Yes, we are both sad Cowboys fans. Get over it. There's always this week. I mean, I got to root for the Vikings this week. <laughs> I, I'm I'm very surprised that schedule makers had a Cowboys-Giants Thanksgiving game. Why? I don't, I don't think of Cowboys-Giants on Thanksgiving. What do you think of? Someone different. Anyone different. Why? It's a great NFC matchup. That that game, that game may draw forty million people. I well, mean, Cowboys least, Giants are two major brands, well, so, so that be- game may draw forty million people. At least at the beginning of the year, with the expectations that the Giants were going to be meh, right? And I'm not saying the Cowboys oh. are going to be. <clears throat> Looks like one team is living up to their end of the bargain <laughs> as far as being prepared for a big game, you know. <laughs> But, uh, no, that game's going to get a monster ratings. Cowboys and Thanksgiving yeah. Day. But the, the Giants, and if the Giants win, they're 8-2. and two. I mean, you're going to get a 
massive audience for that game on uh, Thursday. And the Bills, who had their game with the Browns, moved to Detroit because of the snowstorm. Um, they play the Lions on Thursday. So there you go. Uh, one of the three games that day. Uh, we come back. Richard Hill, our sports law expert, a number of really interesting topics. Um, the FTX fallout of sports, and if there's anything to that class action lawsuit and some other tidbits, we'll get to Richard next. Time for this week's sports law segment. Brought to you by Hale, Hale, and Jacobson. Find them online at hhjlegal.com. That's hhjlegal.com. Richard Hale's our sports law expert. Hale, Hale, and Jacobson is the firm. Garland at hhjlegal.com. We talk sports and law with Richard this time on Fridays. Good morning, Richard. How are you? Doing well, Mark. How are you? I'm fine. Uh, it was impossible to watch the Super Bowl and not be bombarded by cryptocurrency ads, and people saw the creative ads for FTX and some of the biggest names from sports and Tom Brady and Steph Curry and Entertainment and Larry David, and many people didn't even know what it was, and here we are now months later, FTX appears to be gone, uh, and now we have an attempt at a class action lawsuit to go after some of the famous names. I think I understand why, I'll let you explain, but maybe, hey, it catches more attention, but I don't know where this lawsuit goes. Why is it Larry David's fault if some person decided to put their life savings into FTX. So I'll let you respond. What happens here with this uh, uh, attempt at a class action suit against FTX? Yeah, Mark, I think it's pretty simple. Nobody wants to be responsible for their own decisions anymore. And it's so much easier to blame the local celebrity or the national celebrity that uh, endorsed a, a cryptocurrency than it is to harbor you know, your own failure. So um, this is not the first lawsuit of its kind that we've seen. You and I discussed on air the um, the lawsuit against Voyager and, and Mark Cuban's um, participation and the Mavericks' participation in promoting that uh, form of crypto, and, and now we have another one. So, you know, I don't think we've seen the end of this, but to somehow suggest um, that Tom Brady or Steph Curry or Larry David uh, was responsible uh, for my financial ruin uh, is absurd. Now, you know, where this lawsuit may have some legs would be finding out what they knew and when they knew it. Certainly, if uh, you know, you've got a celebrity endorser who knows that the thing is tanking and yet comes out trying to dupe investors or secure additional investors, that's one thing. But by and large, most of these celebrities lost right along with um, uh, the investor. Now, we have seen situations, and the Kardashians come to mind, where they will pump up a stock and then dump it, um, you know, once they add, the, but they're getting their value out of it, right? You throw the Kardashian name behind the newest makeup product, the stock's going to run up, and then they're getting out. They, they may not tell the other investors when they're getting out, but that's been the, the deal there. This seems to be the opposite. This seems to be a situation where these celebrities were equally involved in uh, the run-up, uh, and now they're equally involved in the crash. Uh, the complaint um, is entertaining. Uh, grab a bourbon, sit down, and read it, because when you think about the mismanagement of this company and the, the complete lack of uh, financial control that was being exercised, it is just mind-boggling that as many people got behind this thing, uh, g- given the, the poor mm. uh, 
um, mismanagement of this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, Yasiel Puig, who maybe people hadn't heard about in baseball in a few years, but he pleads guilty to felony charges of a gambling story. And then I think his attorney was like, wait, you guys are reading the agreement wrong. So, one, what did he do and what did he agree to plead guilty on? Sure, this is an, an, another situation where the cover-up is often worse than the crime. There was an investigation into uh, some illegal gambling that Puig had done while he was still uh, employed by Major League Baseball and some, some debts that he took on as a result of some bad bets, uh, and he lied about it. Uh, and, and now there is at least his lawyer saying, well, uh, he didn't necessarily lie about it. The right questions weren't asked. He was truthful at the time. Um, so this likely ends up in a trial over these charges, these new charges, which are that he lied to federal investigators when they questioned him about gambling. Unfortunate situation he finds himself in. Of course, he continues to play baseball overseas now, um, I believe somewhere in, in Asia where he's now playing. And uh, so he will, will likely still need to answer for for these crimes um he has agreed to pay a fine but i don't think it ends there and we'll see where this one shakes out odell beckham jr is going after nike this is interesting to me uh he claims hey that they owe him money that they didn't promote his shoe he had an opportunity to go to adidas and uh, it's costing him money but and and you may help educate those that uh, might be aware of this be careful when you put right of first refusal in a contract, because in some ways, it doesn't matter what you go out and find. Somebody can come back and go, fine, we'll exercise the right of first refusal. That's what Nike says they've done here. But does he have a case against uh, uh, Nike, or does that line about first refusal come into play here? Yeah, it does. And, and let's think about it in these terms, Mark. These brands uh, have become household names now uh, for a number of reasons. They've gone out and sponsored Athletes, they, they don't get to where they are because they break their promises. Um, we wouldn't associate Michael Jordan and Nike the way we do if Nike was, was holding back endorsement dollars. Usually there is a reason behind it, and, and I think Nike has kind of put that shot across the bow to say, hey, there's more to the story here. So when you are an Odell Beckham and you file a lawsuit and you put – your business dealings out there for the for the public eye to consume be mindful that there's another side to this story now whether he anticipatorily breached the contract meaning he did something first to breach the contract which is why nike's holding back the money still remains to be seen and what he did to me is the most curious thing here nike has not come out and said that yet but uh more to the story here i think what um, the the caveat for those moving forward is, hey, you better make sure that your house is squeaky clean before you bring these lawsuits, because Nike's not in the business of holding back endorsement dollars. If they were, they wouldn't be in the business very much longer. And so the cautionary tale here is, hey, Beckham, if you're going to put your, you're going to air your dirty laundry, and understand that there's going to be some peeling back of the onion here in an effort to find out how did you breach the contract, which led Nike then to withhold these uh, these endorsement dollars?
We have done uh, stories like this. In fact, we had one involved in a high school game in Louisville. We had a, a reporter, media person on the sideline, and they get trampled, and just a typical play goes out of bounds and filed a suit. This is interesting. Um, we've got uh, Aaron Patrick, Denver Broncos, a player that is involved in a play at SoFi Stadium against the Chargers where he goes out of bounds and he ends up suffering um, pretty significant knee injury, and his legal team is going after... Uh, the NFL, the Rams, the Chargers, SoFi Stadium, ESPN, and anybody else as he's torn his ACL claiming, look, this was more than just normal sideline uh, traffic here. Um, where are we going with this one? Yeah, this is an interesting story. Obviously, you feel bad for the fella. If I can set the stage for the audience, uh, there is a punt return that's going on. He's covering the punt return um, as he uh, makes a tackle. He ends up uh, running out of out of bounds. Um, he goes to dodge a, a cameraman that's there, and as he does, he steps on a floor mat. So uh, think about those who've worked in the restaurant industry, maybe back in the kitchen, uh, the floor mats are there. He steps on one of those, and you see he goes down awkwardly, knee kind of twist, and and he goes down, uh, and that's the source of the injury. And so. Um, you know, to me, that's very curious in that you normally wouldn't see that type of mat there, but it calls into question the safety and security of the players. Obviously, he's not on the field of play, but, you know, there's still an obligation to provide some safety to that player. Um, these mats may not be even restaurant grade, uh, or if they are, that may be insufficient for a, you know, 250, 300-pound player who's running um, – to support. And so if there is some negligence there, it's certainly on behalf of the stadium and keeping these players safe. Uh, also look at maybe the, the mat manufacturer, if there was something defective about the mat itself. Um, but I think he's got a good argument that they failed to keep him safe here. Obviously there are things that you anticipate happening as an athlete, if you're playing a sport. So for example, you know, he may be subject to concussions. He may get a broken leg. This is all part of football. We understand that, but running out of bounds and then tripping under over an unsafe condition is something you do not anticipate. So there could be some legs here for the lawsuit, no pun intended. Do they put ESPN in there because they televise the game? We'll describe for anybody. Yeah, well, obviously ESPN may be taking some precautionary measures on the sidelines. They could have uh, that, that could have been something they provided to their employees so they'd have a safe place to stand in case the ground was slippery. And, and so, depending on the chain of custody of that map, uh, who took uh, who put the map there? Why was it there? What was the purpose? What was the function? There could be some liability as a result. Have a great week, Richard. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, and happy Thanksgiving to all the listeners out there. Hope you get your fill, and um, be thankful for what we have. Thank you, Richard. Richard Hale, uh, Hale, Hale, and Jacobson, online at hhjlegal.com. Michael O'Donnell's got a lot of basketball talk. We'll get to that next. Time now for Step Back 3 with M.O.D. on the beat of sports. No, I don't have street cred. It's the guys around me have street cred. He's been traveling the country calling college basketball games. He knows airport food like the back of his hand he knows what to touch and not touch on an airplane restroom he's mike o'donnell what's your thoughts on that greatest intro you've ever given me before (laughs) truly yeah i've got a whole routine i'm starting like i feel like i have a second mortgage at the dallas fort worth airport and i mean i'm just depends on the terminal depends on the terminal 
You got a good uh, uh, airport yeah, food true. story or what? Um, no, you know, I, it's not. It's not necessarily. I, I just. I feel like. I see the same people in the airport yeah. every week, and have like I remember that guy, even though I probably don't remember that guy. But there's something you know very uh, Groundhog Day in that. Uh, I remember that guy. I've seen that guy. I've seen that hat. Have you uh, um, have you walked to purchase a rotisserie chicken yet? Well, I, you can't do that in the airport. Unfortunately, there's there's never any rotisserie chickens in the airport. <laughs> um, however, I will tell you. I will tell you. Um, I was devastated. Uh, I did a Duquesne game last week, or earlier this week, uh, and Duquesne's in Pittsburgh. I had never been to downtown Pittsburgh before, oh. and it was I was there on a Sunday when the Pitt, when the Steelers were playing. It was pretty cool, but I'm, I there's a Target downtown. I'm like perfect. I'll run into Target. Grab me, grab me a rotisserie chicken. I'll get a few vegetables, you know, maybe like a, a couple apples and oranges and stuff. And I go in there, and you know, it's one of those targets, mm. grocery stores in big downtown. You got to park like underneath it, yeah. right? You yeah. take an elevator up, yeah. and it's half of the store that you're used to in yeah. Florida. Yeah. No hot food. It's Zero. a tough spot. No, no hot food. Yeah. No rotisserie chickens. Yeah. It was. It was a tough. It was a tough Sunday. But downtown Pittsburgh, nice, though. Really nice. It was cool. I, 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 you know, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to to explore too much, but it was cool. Uh, the city was – it's pretty wild on uh, uh, on a Steelers home game. And my hotel was – I could hear the roar of the crowd from my hotel. It was really cool. Let's dive in a little bit about basketball. Let me kind of uh, go uh, – in a general sense, I want to get to our state team and some of the big national stories. But as you were pointing out, uh, you know, one of your tweets this morning, the WAC's got a couple of big wins. What are you noticing about so many, Mike, of you know, not even mid-major, but, but you know, teams that are from smaller conferences that have had success against bigger brands? It seems like we've got more of these victories. Is it because yeah. – Teams have been together for a couple of years versus the massive uh, impact of the transfer portal, but and maybe the number just seems odd to me. It seems like a lot more of these type of victories happening in the first week plus of the season. Yeah, we've talked. We talked very briefly about this. Uh, you are uh, uh, mostly correct in that we're seeing more of this. One of the reasons why we're seeing more of it is because when you say transfer portal, what does that actually mean? It means two things is that when you see a mid-major team upsetting a major conference team, there's a really good chance that mid-major team has 90 to 95% of their core guys back, right? And not just core players, but, but scoring back. And so they're able to run their offense, understand the scouting report. They know exactly how to play in late-game situations, even in the shot clock. There's, they're, very in, um, they're in the driver's seat in terms of how to manipulate the game for uh, a lot of power conferences right now, and this is part of the pendulum that we're going to see is when these teams take in three or four transfers from the portal, it takes time. It, it, you can practice all you want. It, it, it doesn't matter until the lights turn on and wake you're really trying to understand chemistry. And you can have as many scrimmage games as you want against exhibition teams. When you line it up against D1 opponent versus D1 opponent, and you're and seventy percent of your scoring and core players are gone from last year's team. That head coach is not just trying to get them to play together. That head coach is still trying to figure out what lineups work, what what kind of players fit certain roles. So that takes time. We're going to see the pendulum swing back more towards the middle when January hits, 
where head coaches of power conferences understand how to actually use their new players and then how those players actually uh, are understanding the system. It, it, it's a very, uh, it sounds very obvious. It's a, well, how come you just can't roll the ball out and play? If you understand anything about basketball, it is way more about rhythm than it is about just running individual plays. And I also think, Mark, that the way the game is played, even just specifically at the college level, is very different than 10 years ago. I think that, I think we'd be seeing less upsets 10 years ago if there was, a, if the transfer portal was like it is now, because the game was much different. It was much more about individual set plays or individual one-on-one matchups. Now it's ball movement and spacing and reads and decision-making is more important than individual skills. And because of that, I think it gives a leg up to teams that are older and have played together and are more consistent. Well, one of those teams that's brought some guys back, although he added a piece or two, I want to give credit, former UCF coach Donnie Jones. He's off to a 3-0 and yeah. start, won at FSU, beat South Florida on the road. He beat Ryder, and Donnie's 3-0. and He's in Dublin, Ireland right now, playing in the Mac A Sun uh, tournament in Dublin, Ireland. They're, they're playing very, very well. Um, one thing you have to understand about that Stetson team, and UCF is going to play Stetson in a few weeks, is essentially every guy in their roster is capable from three. Now, they have a player that's come off the bench named Logan Brown who uh, dropped 25 on Florida State, uh, and he's been a three-point absolute sniper for the Hatters. They play very hard. They spread Florida State out really wide against those, those bigger guards and just drove, and they have an enormous amount of confidence. And Stetson looks like one of the better, you know, mid-major teams in the Southeast United States now. If you just take a look at their record, they, and he's doing it after losing a first-teamer. They lost Chase Johnston, who was a first-team All-A-Sun player, transferred to Florida Gulf Coast, and everybody thought that Stetson well, wasn't, wasn't going to be a, a team that would eclipse the 500 mark. Donnie Jones and Stetson playing really well. Um, what well, uh, Florida State will get healthier, but Mike, that that may not be a very good Leonard Hamilton team. Maybe they'll be better in February, but I don't know right now. Are they? Yeah, they're in some trouble. Um, they even the UCF game, they just looked unhappy playing, and I don't mean that because they were losing. It just didn't feel like uh, uh, anybody was having joy playing the game, and uh, I thought the energy and effort of Florida State was better in, in the first half of UCF compared to when they lost against Stetson at home. However, in the second half, I mean, a lot of it was UCF just, just you know, they, they were clearly the better team, but just played way harder. I mean, it was loose balls, rebounds. The, the rebounding margin was completely absurd in that game. UCF dominated the glass in a way that I've never seen before, not just a UCF versus A team. It was a Florida State team being out rebounded like that was shocking. It was jarring. And they need to clean a lot up. Now, they've got guys that are injured that are going to be coming back. You know, I think this is maybe 13 or 14 more games before Baba Miller comes back, who's a potential lottery pick, a kid from Spain, six foot ten, uh, a wing player. So help is on the way, but my goodness. 
there's there's too many issues right now for Florida State for you and I to just chat about for 15 minutes. They uh, Florida State, Florida will play uh, tonight. UCF uh, uh, beat Florida State, came back, beat a, a really shorthanded Western Illinois basketball team. They play Oklahoma State tonight down to the Bahamas. Uh, DePaul, Santa Clara down there. It's an interesting challenge for Johnny Dawkins' team. Uh, can they win tonight? Very winnable game. Uh, Oklahoma State's 2-1. and one. Um, uh, They lost to Southern Illinois, a very good Southern Illinois team. They have uh, – they're not very deep. Uh, they might play seven guys uh, when they play against sports, uh, uh, UCF. Uh, Avery Anderson's a guard. It's all about guard play for Oklahoma State. They have four guards that average double figures, but nobody averages more than 13 points a game. And so they spread you out, uh, um, and, and they have a ton of guards that are great at attacking and getting into the paint and trying to manipulate the defense. They aren't very big. They don't rebound exceptionally well. And it's a lot of new faces, Mark. Again, it's one of those quote-unquote power, te- uh, power conference teams that have a lot of new faces that are still trying to figure out who they are. It's very winnable game for UCF. And even, you know, you and I have, we've been watching UCF play this season. There were a lot of unknowns, especially with Darius Johnson, who is one of the best point guards in the American Conference, still out. They played exceptionally well, in my opinion. I mean, really well. Everybody's going to talk about, hey, this team's fun. They play hard. But I think they're executing very, uh, uh, very well uh, throughout the course of the season so far early on, especially Jalen Young, who is asked to be backup point guard. I think he's been more than solid for UCF. Um, I'm asking not because of any UCF-USF deal. Uh, you did the uh, South Florida game last night. They lost. They're now 0-4. Brian Gregory seems like a nice guy. They have turned that roster over every single year. They just made a change at football. I don't know what they may do. You saw the crowd there last night. Sometimes you just have a vibe of the program is just stuck. Do you have that sense about South Florida? Not trending in the right direction. Uh, I do like Brian Gregory. I think Brian Gregory is a great coach. Um, uh, he's been just personally uh, wonderful to me. He's been very, uh, very great to work with. But they're 0-4. And they lost uh, uh, to Austin P. last night, who is a middle-of-the-road Ohio Valley team. Uh, excuse me, they just transferred. They were in the Ohio Valley. They just right. trained, uh, uh, changed conferences to the Atlantic Sun. And they have problems on the offensive end. Uh, coming into this game, there wasn't a single player who shot over 65% from the free throw line. They are not shooting the ball well from the three-point line. They defend, and they play hard. There are major issues on the offensive side of the basketball. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty on, on just how to score, not just what play to run, but just who is actually going to be a shooter, who's going to be a scorer, who's going to make a play. Uh, there's there, there are some problems in Tampa, um, and Brian Gregory's got a, got a tough, uh, tough battle ahead uh, for the rest of the season. I watched the second half, and I hadn't seen anybody do that to Gonzaga in a while. Texas rolled a highlight machine against the Zags and yeah. won by yeah. 19. Now let's give Mark Few's team... Uh, some credit about who they play. Michigan State, which was on the aircraft carrier, they won by one. Texas, they get Kentucky uh, coming up at home. But, man, did Texas have some fun in the second half. It was just, you want a dunk, you get a dunk, you get a dunk. 
What, you know what's really interesting is when you watch Gonzaga play teams that live and die by physicality, and that's their M.O., they really struggle. Uh, you think, think about the national championship two years ago against Baylor and how, remember how physical yeah. <laughs> that Baylor team was, was un, I mean, from point guard to center, they were unbelievably physical and Gonzaga really, really struggles with physicality. Texas plays similar to what that Baylor team played like. They're, you know, it's a Chris Beard coach team, so you have to play with an absurd amount of grit and physical toughness. To play for him, and and they just bullied Gonzaga. The stat that is, um, Mark, you and I have talked a lot about Gonzaga. How much we love the program, the culture, the offense, Mark Few, and rightfully so. You know, they're they're a blue blood of college basketball right now, even though they play in the West Coast Conference. They currently have 40 assists and 52 turnovers on the season. That's very strange coming from a Mark Cuban-Zaga team. Very strange, Mark. They are, um, they are struggling taking care of the basketball. They are struggling uh, 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 playing against teams that press, that are physical, that are in denial. I mean, they, in that loss versus Texas that you were just talking about, Mark, they had 10 assists and 20 turnovers. Yeah. 20. There, there's there's so there's some cause for concern in Spokane. Uh, I don't know what you took. It was a fun night because the brands, although those waiting for the college football playoff rankings didn't get it because of double overtime of Michigan State and Kentucky, then Kansas and Duke. Did you take anything of watching those two games? Uh, yeah, I think Kansas is a little bit better than we thought. I, I, I was actually more, um, I was more impressed with Duke than I think uh, people were. Uh, they were, you know, naturally on Twitter ragging Duke. Uh, they have a they have a player that hasn't played yet yet named Derek Whitehead. Even though he was a top ten recruit coming out of high school, I've seen him play in person. I think Derek Whitehead, uh, when he gets healthy, he, uh, couldn't lead the ACC in scoring. I think he's that good. I think Duke's going to be fine. I'm not pressing the panic button. I think John Shire has been been uh, uh, been good. I think I've watched the adjustments that he's made. I think I think he's been fine. Kansas with less star power than they've had in the last couple of years looks looks like a really, really tough out uh, in the Big 12 and nationally. I think uh, especially they're just playing with it's amazing. A, a team like Kansas can actually play with a chip on their shoulder. But Bill Self feels like has this team saying, hey, you know, I've been suspended for a few games. You guys have to play for me. Nobody thinks we're going to win. No, no, nobody cares about us anymore. And they're playing like they're trying to prove something, which is pretty remarkable to think about considering the fact that it's Kansas basketball. And it looks like Grady Dick is going to be an All-American, right? Saw him play. uh, (laughs) I called two of his games last season. um, and He's a freshman, by the way. He was a highly recruited kid, and he was always going to go to Kansas. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a Kansas kid. Uh, he committed to Kansas a couple of years ago, actually, and a lot of people thought that Bill Self was too early on him. And, oh boy, there's Bill Self right. Uh, Grady Dick is one of the, he was, he may have been the best off the ball reader of how to play against the defense in high school basketball I've ever seen. I've never seen a guard use down screens, flare screens, call for stagger screens and pin downs the way that Grady Dick did. He played as if 
he was a senior in college uh, his entire life, and he was he was dropping 25 on Montverde, uh, you know, some of the top high school teams in the country. I've never seen a high school player manipulate screens like Brady Dick. It was it was very special, and he's doing it at Kansas right now. He's really good. Uh, you put out a tweet, and I was curious because I read a few other places. Um, this is a little bit in-depth officiating college basketball, but flopping's been a problem in the NBA for years. College basketball dealt with it recently, and now they've told officials, hey, no warning if somebody flops. It's a technical one shot and the ball back to the team. You, at the moment, think not not great, but you're willing to let the season play itself out. What don't you like? Uh, well, first of all, um, I'm, I'm just thankful that that call wasn't around when I was playing because I probably would have fouled out every single game, and you could have probably attest to that, Mark Daniels. Um, here's what I don't like. Uh, I don't like the fact that the flopping call is made mostly when there should be a no call. I want more no calls in college basketball. What that means is is when a player – sets his position or he's defending a player, let's just say within 10 feet of the basket, and there's a little bit of contact and the player falls down but doesn't, but doesn't flail his arms and throw his head back and scream. That is a no call, right? That's a natural physical play in the game that should be just play on, right? Don't make a call, just play on. It wasn't good enough to be in charge. It wasn't egregious enough to be a flop. And in my opinion, the majority of flop calls that are being made that are called technicals should be no calls. Last night in the South Florida Austin P game, before the game, I spoke to uh, two of the refs, and I said, hey, how, how are you guys enjoying calling the class these technical fouls? This is what was told to me, and this is, why I, this is another reason why I'm even more adamant that I can't stand this rule, is one ref looked at me dead in the eye and he goes, I love calling. And the other ref looked at me dead in the eye and said, I, I, I don't want to look for it. I want to just play on no calls. And I'm like, you guys do know that you're on the exact opposite spectrum, and you're calling this game together right now. Have you not talked about this more? I, I, it's so discretionary between ref to ref that I, I don't like it. Just bring back the warning. It's also slowing the game down. You've got it's, it's too much, Mark. It, 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 I don't think I'm going to be convinced that it's good for the game. Everything we've talked about about college basketball, changing the rules, changing the way the game is played, spreading it out more, calling, you know, uh, be, being tougher on defenses by, by calling more ticket tack fouls so we could speed up the game, more, more open style offense. Now you're calling flopping two or three times a game. There's a technical, the play stops, the entire flow of the game stops. It's not a fan of it. I don't like it right now. Good stuff, Mike. Have a great week. Thank you. Appreciate it. You got it. Thanks, Mark. Uh, that was our problem with Mike's phone line. Not him. Ours. It's not Chris's fault either. Thank you for that. It's mine. No, it's not your fault, Mark. Stop it. You're the leader. you got to take responsibility. Um, but that was not Mike's issue. That was our issue, and uh, we'll work to resolve that. But still got some good basketball stuff if you just kept listening to the wind tunnel. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> um, reminder tonight, as I was asking Mike about UCF basketball, our Scott Adams has the tough assignment of staying at the five-star resort in the Bahamas, where he'll call tonight's UCF and Oklahoma State basketball game at 6.30 pregame. Tip set for 7 o'clock. You just connected with Scott before to confirm that yep, it's fine and uh, equipment works. So, yeah. I said to him, 
He got there Wednesday with the team. I said, so what do you got going on Thursday? Nothing, really. Whatever I want to do. You know? That's nice. What do you got going on tomorrow? Nothing. Whatever I want to do. So, um, yeah. I got football, and I'm fired up, man. But Scott's always the benefactor of these great holiday trips and so forth. But that's okay. It's all good. It's all good. When you're married almost 30 years, you can't really tell your wife you're going to a five-star resort and justify what you're doing outside of the five hours that you'll work or the five days that you're there. So I'm perfectly fine being here and excited to call tomorrow's football game and good for Scott. Uh, we'll do the 11 o'clock hour. Kick it off with the news next. Lavita Sports, Mark Daniels on this uh, Friday. Reminded of our UCF coverage begins at 9 a.m. Little Bright House, uh, or I should say Bounce House Brunch. Kickoff is set for uh, 11. And again, for those wondering why the game is at 11 o'clock, ESPN promises in its contracts X number of national television appearances, and they usually will save some on the back end later in the season. And they opted for four TV windows on ESPN2 tomorrow. That means games at 11, 5 30, and 9. And UCF knew before the game against Tulane, had they won, they'd be in that 11 a.m. slot, which compared to the other options is a better one to get a bigger audience. Now, the Mars game's not going to draw two, three million people, but better than the 4 o'clock on ESPN New or use, uh, or News or You where a test pattern can get sometimes a higher rating um, than if you're buried there at 4 o'clock. So it is a better TV slot. And if you think about it, it will get a decent audience at the start. Why? Because it's the first game of the day. And n- no one else is playing at 11 a.m. And the gambler loves early action. Let's get uh, 11 o'clock hour. W.Y.J. Orlando, WJR, HD2, Cocoa Beach, Orlando Sports Leader. Let's really do the news. Yes. Now it is time to do the news. But now it's time uh, for the news. World Cup begins now in less than two days. And the news from a sponsorship standpoint is that uh, the government and event organizers of Qatar have banned uh, beer sales. Uh, That is a reverse of the position after originally planning to ban beer sales in and around stadiums. They had changed their uh, position on that. And it was believed that it would be allowed. And this morning, the announcement with both FIFA and Qatar that they have changed their mind. Uh, InBev, who owns uh, Budweiser, a little bit of an issue. In the course of a World Cup year, they will spend $100 million on their sponsorship with FIFA. Money in the bank. You're a bit upset this morning if you're them because this is not like, hey, you can't sit up over there outside the stadium. Can you go 10 feet to the left? This is a little bit bigger than that. Um However, in all of the luxury suites at the eight stadiums built, which is a story in itself, uh, there'll be free-flowing top-shelf liquor and all the Budweiser beer you want. Right. Kind of like an SEC stadium before they allowed beer sales 20 years ago. Uh, Remains a very big story and one that the media has covered uh, at length uh, today. Um but that's where we stand. World Cup begins now in less than 48 hours. The Americans will play their first match on Monday against Wales. Last night on Thursday Night Football, the Tennessee Titans went to 7-3. and They beat the Packers 27-17. to Their offensive coordinator, Todd Downing, uh, charged with driving under the influence after the team had landed in Nashville. He was pulled over at 4.36 in the morning. 
Must have been celebrating that Thursday night win a little bit too much. Mm. Yeah, just a little bit uh, too much. College football last night, just four days after their game uh, against UCF, wondered how Tulane, I did, I wondered how they would come back in a game against SMU and a high-powered offense that had put up the 77 points against Houston recently. Um, but give Michael Pratt and Tulane's offense credit, they blew out SMU 59-24 to last night to get to 9-2. and Tulane will play at Cincinnati next week. The Bearcats have Temple tomorrow. Assuming they'll win as a heavy favorite, it would set up a big game next week in Cincinnati where if UCF is to win tomorrow against Navy and next week at South Florida, the Knights would host the conference championship game and they would play the winner of that Tulane-Cincinnati game, assuming Cincinnati uh, wins. Uh, If they lose, then Tulane would control uh, its own uh, destiny. In college football, action involving state teams tomorrow, other noon starts. Uh, Florida State takes on Louisiana. That's Billy Napier's old team uh, before uh, he went uh, to Florida. You know what? The, um, they're the Raging Cajuns, Chris Vasquez, who's sitting yes. here for Scott Harris today. Their mascot is a cayenne pepper. Yeah. Yeah, it's cayenne pepper. Runs around. The guy's got like a fuzzy cayenne pepper outfit on. Yeah. What are you looking at me for? I mean, you know, hot, spicy yeah, food. No, I mean, I get it. And just, yeah. All right. Uh, Florida takes on Vandy. By the way, Florida's won 29 of the last 30 against Vanderbilt. Uh, Miami's at Clemson. This week, the Canes were known more for Mario Cristobal's line, if you want to come pick up your son, you can do it any time, for those unhappy about playing time. Uh, By the way, Austin P plays at Alabama. A number of the SEC schools take on an FCS team before a big rivalry game. That's nothing new. Uh, Austin P seven and three is an FCS team. Their their cheer is "Let's go P." That's P E A Y. But here, Chris, here's the best part about it: their official athletic website address is "Let's go P dot com." How great is that? That's amazing. Embrace it. Absolutely. Yeah. Good for them. It's awesome. A couple of other college football notes for you: Oklahoma State plays Oklahoma. They call it Bedlam. Okay, you may have heard that. Now, the sad thing is, even though yesterday, for example, Iowa and Iowa State agreed to extend their rivalry game every year, playing in different conferences. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, right now, will see this series end when Oklahoma goes to the SEC. There are no games scheduled beyond playing it as a conference game. But Bedlam has nothing to do with the origination. It has nothing to do with football. Oklahoma State and Oklahoma have had great wrestling programs for decades. And the story goes back to a reporter came out of the gym when Oklahoma State and Oklahoma had a wrestling meet. And someone said, what's it like in there? And his answer was Bedlam. And that's how it got the name Bedlam. Not even connected to football. It was a wrestling that's no, cool. Between cool story. The two sides. USC and UCLA play tomorrow. It's a big game in the Pac-12. USC, I think, very much has playoff hopes alive because of who they play to end the season. they got a game against a ranked UCLA team. They will play a ranked Notre Dame team, assuming the Irish beat Boston College this week, and then get somebody that will be ranked in the Pac-12 championship game. And that's going to be three quality wins if they are to win out. 
Uh, UCLA, with a second loss, I don't believe is in the hunt to make a playoff spot, but they're still ranked 16th. It's the 92nd meeting between these two teams. Can I tell you a story about this? Please. They play for the victory bell, okay? In 1941, UCLA received a bell from the Alumni Association as a gift. Back then, both teams played the L.A. Coliseum, not now UCLA's the Rose Bowl. And cheerleaders for UCLA would ring the bell for every point scored. So after a touchdown, they would ring it. If they had 30 points, ring it 30 times and so forth. Okay. One day at a game, not involving the two teams, but one day at a game, six fraternity brothers from USC stole the bell and put it in a truck to drive off. Hard stop, okay? Does anybody observe that during the game? How did these guys in the middle of the game steal the bell, put it on a truck, and drive off? The UCLA cheerleaders, as the story is told, ran to get the keys to the truck, only to find out the USC guy stole the keys to get the truck. How about some of you guys staying back and fighting to keep the bell there? So the USC six fraternity brothers stole the bell and were hiding it for the next year. It was in a basement somewhere. It was in a field somewhere covered in, in, in debris. And ultimately, the two university presidents had to get involved because it became a big story and some ugly moments of where's the bell and potential fights. And they agreed that now the bell would go to the winning team every year. So in 1942, the following year, the victory bell was introduced, and tomorrow the team that wins the game gets to keep the victory bell for a year. If you're part of the UCLA Alumni Association, how pissed are you? What, that your cheerleaders can hold on to the bell? We're <laughs> gifting you this <laughs> bell. That they, that they let six guys in the middle of the game go, yeah, we'll take it from here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would say, nice, tough attitude by you guys here. <laughs> Goodness gracious for crying out loud. Yes. Magic basketball tonight. As the Magic are in Chicago to take on the Bulls. The Magic 4-11 without Paolo Boncaro. Uh, we'll take on the Bulls, who are 6-9. and nine. And the Magic tomorrow will begin a two-game set in Indiana against the Pacers. They'll play the Pacers again in Indianapolis on Monday, as the Magic included that seven-game homestand, and now will go on the road. And What is a really tough stretch, uh, I mean, the next 17 games for the Magic are not at all easy, even if they were healthy. And um, they'll start tonight in Chicago uh, against the Bulls. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt and Aaron Judge went MVPs nationally again in the American League. Aaron Judge, free agent to be. Uh, and the story of the guy that has home run ball number 62. Turned down $3 million and will put it up for auction. Um, assuming he realizes he can get more than $3 million. And while the NFL has moved the Browns and Bills game to Detroit because of thunder snow that's happening right now in Buffalo, I've seen some of the videos people have posted on Twitter. Thunder snow is, imagine a really strong thunderstorm in Florida. I mean, dark gray clouds and lots of rain and wind and lightning. Take out the rain and replace it with snow. But thunder and lightning and a massive snow falling, that's thunder snow. Uh, The problem right now for the Bills, the airport's closed. And they don't know when it would clear out to allow the Bills to gather and fly to Detroit. Um, I was just reading that it's possible the team may not get out until either late tomorrow night or Sunday morning to play the game on Sunday. 
the Akron-Buffalo college football game tomorrow has been postponed. They'll see if they can play it either Sunday or Monday. But the Bills now trying to figure out how to get out. The Bills will play Detroit Thanksgiving Day. So for them, if they can get out, they'll play Sunday and then stay there to play the Lions on Thursday. That's insane. Thundersnow. Thundersnow. Sounds like a movie. You know? Sounds like the name of a the latest hot rock band. Introducing Thunder. That nobody likes. Why? Why would you not like Thundersnow? <laughs> kind of like some, Nickelback. They got Up some next, hits. here's Thundersnow. Stop it. They got some hits. Paradise in the Storm by Thundersnow. Next. <laughs> Navy has played well the last couple of weeks. Last year, UCF faced Navy lost at Annapolis. That was the week after the Louisville game in which they lost Dylan Gabriel. Mikey Keene's first start as a true freshman. And UCF was down seven starters. Had a chance late, but lost that game. It has left a bitter taste in Gus Malzahn's mouth. But his team is focused on the next big game to stay on course for a conference championship. Gary Paris will preview UCF and Navy. We'll do that next. I don't know if there's a college football broadcast in the country that plays young Bravey like we do. I'm not quite sure we should be proud of, but nonetheless, we do. <laughs> Why would you not be proud of it? Uh, tomorrow, it's going to be an early morning. Uh, UCF will take on Navy at 11 a.m. I've explained many times this week why it's at 11 a.m. And we'll be on the air at 9. And Gary Paris will be sitting to my right uh, for uh, all of tomorrow's coverage. And he joins us now. Good morning, Gary. How are you? Good morning, Mark. I'm doing fine. Um, last week, you and I knew that UCF would find themselves in a you know tough football game against Tulane. But uh, from the start, it looked like John Rice Plumley was ready to go. What stood out about his performance? Clearly the two big runs early on. And while UCF didn't throw the ball a lot, he still was effective in certain moments. So what about JRP last week was impressive? I was impressed with the way he hit the gaps, hit the holes that he needed to run through. His eyes were working well. He When he took the handoff, uh, or the snap, rather, and he went downfield, he had his options, RPOs, and he ran and hit those gaps really well between the linemen. And he accelerated. I mean, he showed some quickness. He showed freshness. This time of year, usually your legs get tired and they get a little sluggish-like. But he looked real quick while running, and I was impressed with his ability to read the uh, defense. Uh, In that first half, Gary, UCF had a chance to kind of open it up at a couple of empty drives there, and then it got a little interesting uh, uh, at the end of the first half. And then in the second half, uh, you know, made enough plays. And as we were talking during the broadcast, and even last night with Gus Malzahn, sometimes if you get a championship season, you'll look back in certain championship drives. 16 plays, 8 minutes and 5 seconds, the bizarre fourth down where they don't throw the flag for Tulane being offside. And uh, Isaiah Bowser's thrown at John Rice Plumley, But that drive and 14 fourth quarter rushes by Isaiah Bowser, what will you remember about that drive? Well, the the flag that wasn't thrown. <laughs> I mean, I, I went back and I watched the game again, and I, I said, how could you miss that? How did they miss that flag? And thank goodness there was a penalty on that fourth down throw. And, oh, and I, I agree with you what you said was that you thought, it, like, Plumley thought it was a free play. Right. I mean, he and our Bowser, rather, excuse me, Bowser right. thought it was a free play, and he just 
took the advantage and threw it down there, not knowing there wasn't a penalty flag thrown on the offside. That was a that was a great drive. That was a key play right there. I think I think that was huge, huge play. And uh, I hate to see the officials miss one like that, but uh, we were able to capitalize and go in and score. It took a long. It was a great drive. Just a uh, a drive that your offense showed that, that what they did exactly what they needed to do. The most impressive thing I was I saw last week, Mark, was the way that offensive line of ours played mature football. I mean, they are very, very. They were very good that that, that evening. That afternoon, and they did a great job of uh, getting running backs their, well, you know, the right right uh, holes for them to get the gap. Our backs were able to see the hole; they got into it, and they ran well. It was a, just a fantastic job by the offensive line. Oh, it's interesting. Last night, between Gus Malzahn, Sam Jackson, the offensive line, Alec Holler, the tight end, all said, "Trust me." On Thursday at practice, Bowser threw a dime to John Rice Plumley, and Gus said they had the play and at the right moment. Now, maybe it wasn't going to happen in that game, but everybody said Thursday, Bowser dropped a dime right there to John Rice Plumley. <laughs> uh, it was a great, it was a great call again. He, and again, I'm, I'm thinking Bowser saw the jump the offside, and he did, and he did. He said, I got a free one. I'm letting it go right now. Yeah. And he did. He threw it right there on the sideline, and it looked like he had it. Yeah. Uh, Gary, UCF is down three starters in that game. Linebacker Jeremiah Gene Baptiste, both safeties, Quadric Boulder, who's, you know, out now for a long time. Um, and then Devon Wilson. We'll see uh, which of the two could come back, uh, maybe in tomorrow's game, or maybe both. We'll see what happens there. But nonetheless, Against the run, I thought they did a pretty good job uh, against Tulane. But as you look at tomorrow's game, a different type of matchup against Navy and the triple option in its basic form, what is so hard about the triple option to stop? One, you don't see it that often, but then what is key? I'm, I'm sure tomorrow you'll say, you know, assignment football. But what's unique about facing a triple option? Well, it is. You'll hear the words discipline and assignment football and and that's what when coaches that coach the other defenses say discipline being that you must believe in where you're supposed to be don't worry about the guy next to you take make your assignment count and then as soon as you can read the ball find the ball and they'll have different schemes mark will crash the ends and the linebackers linebackers will scrape to the outside or the safeties will come flying up or that we have the uh, fifth uh, uh, defensive back in there. Watch for him to run and run support. The key thing is is that they do pass the ball uh, not a whole lot, but when they do, it can be very effective. They got a big tight end they like to get the ball to. But the the thing about them is this again, it, it is discipline. I mean, I, I I've heard it so many times when coaches will say the key to our deal is we got assignments for everybody. And they must play discipline and be patient. Do your job uh, and in your assignment. Um, defensively, they've done a really good job shutting down the run. The second half, they really shut down uh, Notre Dame. They played Cincinnati well. So what do they do defensively? And then what's important for UCF? And I would imagine a little bit maybe more going to the air this week, but still spreading you out and making sure they have to account for Plumlee's run ability. Well, they do a great job of when you watch film on them, boy, they get into the gaps really quick. And those are what we call the running holes. 
that the uh, backs run through. And they do a good job of, of kind of shooting into those gaps. And their linebackers do a great job. they got a couple great linebackers back there. And uh, uh, Marshall and uh, uh, Ramos, both of them are really good tacklers, Mark. They're really uh, uh, physical-type players. And they got a kid named Busick up front, Jacob Busick, that is a big defensive lineman that does a great job. He's got seven and a half tackles for loss. But go to Marshall. Marshall has 14 and a half tackles for loss, six and a half sacks as a linebacker. So they do a good job of forcing you to, they think that if they can stop your run, they got a shot at maybe beating you uh, when most, because they got, they feel like they're very athletic on the outside and they got some good, uh, the corners play very disciplined. The safeties are in assignment football again. We talk those two words, and that's, and that's what they—they they only give up coming into this game. I, what is it like uh, twenty, almost twenty-six points a game, and uh, that's not bad at this time of the year. They, but they're only scoring around thirty, uh, twenty or twenty-three yard uh, points a game. So their assignment is to stop, try to stop our run game and make Pumley force Pumley to throw the ball. Um. I asked Gus, even the players last night, there is something different. It's what every team wants. So you're playing meaningful football games as you get into uh, late November, and there's a different vibe. And, and uh, you know, yes, these are two games that UCF's expected to win, but, you know, you feel pressure because you know what's at stake, and yet you still have to win these next couple games. You're not playing in a conference championship game yet, so you would hope your leaders recognize that and no one looks ahead because you don't have a margin for error here. Yeah, you got to forget what everybody's talking around you. You've got to forget about what the papers are saying you're supposed to win by or the TV's telling you all that. You've got to go out and play football. And this is a, this, this is a very good team. This team's lost four games by one touchdown or less. So you've got to realize that you're playing an opponent that could beat you. And you, you've got to, you're, you're playing an opponent that this, they have nowhere to go. This is it. And they're playing. This is their big bowl game right here. They play Army a little bit later, a week off, then they'll play Army. But this is their big game right here at the end of the season for them in conference play. And and we have a target on our back, and they know that, and they want to come, and they want to take take this game away from us in our home stadium. You've got to realize all those things that, hey, it's one game at a time, Mark. This game is the most important game of the season. Gary, uh, have a safe trip up. We'll see you early in the morning, Mark. Appreciate it. All right, buddy. Thank you. Gary Paris, some insight on UCF and uh, Navy. And yes, the midshipmen are 3-7. and seven. They did lose their starting quarterback uh, earlier in the season and have kind of used two different guys. And so they did pass a little bit more earlier in the year. Uh, they did win a game this year without completing a pass, which uh, I believe has happened seven times under Kenny Amatololo, their head coach. That's insane. Yeah. Because if it works, it's hard to st- And look, that was the frustrating thing last year when UCF lost to Navy. And you, look, you're still concerned about tomorrow. UCF's a much different team than last year. Came the week after Louisville. It was a deflating loss. Dylan Gabriel's out. Mikey Keene's first start. You're down seven starters in that game. Uh, Travis Williams, much different defense now than he was working with in the fourth game last year. And now what's at stake for UCF? It's a different vibe. Doesn't mean you don't have to do some things like we've talked about in stopping the triple option, but it's a different type of year. Um, And 
like anybody on Navy, you want to get a lead on them of a couple of possessions and force them to have to come out of what they do uh, comfort-wise. But, I mean, their games this year, like the Notre Dame game, Notre Dame's up three touchdowns, and Navy's still doing what they do, and all of a sudden it's a three-point game, and they're kicking an onside kick late uh, in the game. Again, pregame at 9, kickoff set for 11 o'clock from FBC Mortgage Stadium. Back with more of the Beat of Sports next. Probably this time we play Kenny Loggins. Why? Why not? Go, Kenny. Vasquez is sitting in for a scutter or sitting. Have you seen this one? I have not. Did you see the first one? No. I'm not a big movie guy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm no Scott Harris. I apologize. No, no, it's okay. You know? Chris would rather go hang out at a cool brewery than spend a few hours at a movie theater. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay. What's the best new beer you've tried? The best new beer I've tried... You know what? I'm going to have a humble brag here. It was my employee beer at my bar. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Yeah. No, what was it? Uh, so we named it Brewing Killed the Radio Star. Uh-huh. It was a sour IPA with maracuya, which is a Colombian passion fruit, and strawberries. Okay. Very good. All right. And can one get this? We sold out, unfortunately. Well, fortunately, we sold out. Okay. All right. But that was the best beer I've had. Lately. All right. When will you be back at the bar? My Actually, my last day at the bar will be Tuesday in Avalon Park. Well, Chris is uh, out there and go see him, and he accepts, uh, accepts all forms of tips except those in crypto. That would be correct. <laughs> that would be correct. Oh, man. Um, we uh, and, and Chris is going to be back here on Monday sitting in for uh, Scott uh, Harris, uh, yesterday we had Mike Frazier was on of JUCO Weekly, the uh, website that covers uh, junior college football. And on Monday, the Orlando Touchdown Club, where Andrew Adelson's the guest speaker, Mike's going to be there. They're announcing the Walter Jones Trophy winner, which is for the top junior college player in the country. Uh, Walter Jones, a Hall of Famer, is going to be on Monday here. And I uh, look forward to chatting with him. Awesome. i looking forward to it. Chris, will you say, hey, are you wearing your Hall of Fame jacket when you talk to him on the phone? I mean, I can ask him. If you want me to, uh, I don't want him to get creeped out. Like no, right before the interview. But uh, Walter Jones was an amazing football player. Great story, as Mike was alluding to yesterday. Like almost accidentally found, and then went to play junior college football before going to Florida State, where he dominated there, and then went on to become a Hall of Fame player in uh, the National Football League. So we'll talk the, uh, with him on uh, Monday. And yes, Andrew Adelson will be at. Uh, the chat room at Dubstrad on Monday for the next meeting of the Orlando Touchdown Club. If you go to orlandotdclub.com, you can read details about that. Uh, Andrew speaks on Monday, then a few weeks off before Charles Davis of CBS Sports and our good friend will join us for a rare Tuesday meeting in December. And then we're going to meet after the college football 
uh, playoff championship game when Tony Barnhart will come in and wrap up the season for us. Go to OrlandoTDClub.com to get more information on how you can join us for the remaining three uh, dinners that we have and then become a member at the Orlando Touchdown uh, Club. And we'll be honoring more high school players we do throughout the season and uh, soon announcing the high school players of the year. So all that is available at OrlandoTDClub.com. Uh, Do you have his music? He asked for this. Okay, yeah. hit it. Yeah. Because of thunder snow in Buffalo, heard from Maxine Zonshine wanted to come into Thunderstruck. Yeah. How about here that? Comes everybody. Huh? We're going to tear it up right here. Uh huh. Little thunderstruck <laughs> on the on the eve of thunderstorm. The sequel to Stephen King's big epic hit, <laughs> Thunderstruck. Back in the day, ACDC title song. Let it rip, boys. Wow. That. There it is, man. You feel pretty good right now, right? You kind of asked me. You didn't know if he was going to do it or not. And I'm like, hey, Chris, can you roll this out there and everything? And you feel pretty good I, now, I don't you? in our, like, what is it, Mark, like six years now, you and I have been chatting on yeah. air. And I think that's the first time I ever got lead-in music, bro. You know, I'm, kinda... on, I, I'm, I'm just like, I'm flying right now. Yeah. It's amazing. Wow. There yeah, you go. And, yeah. And it, that, thank you. And, and to my family in Buffalo, yeah, it sucks to be you right now. It's great to be us down here. Just letting them know. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, yeah. Wow. Yeah, good stuff. By the way, and was my singing as bad as Bianchi's when he always does his songs with you and when you guys do the bridge? Listen. Because I'm really, I, that's what I was shooting no, for. No, no, no. Mike, Mike is unique. Uh, I, I love when he sings. My favorite part about Mike singing is when he doesn't know the words and just kind of, you know, operates a line behind. <laughs> or or when he hears a song and, yeah. and, and he just goes, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, like that. <laughs> just, well, we've all done our whole life. Yeah. I think that's a mission in life, right? Yeah, there. yeah. Move on, and we just put it to music and yeah. make it happen. And so, uh, yeah. So, there yeah. You just go. put that, man. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So we got holiday yeah, season. I, I, Thanksgiving's next week. We it's a great time to get out. We got brunch going on now. What's happening in Maxine's and China? Yeah, so so really important is in just to the, to the very uh, key thing, and I heard you talking about it a little bit earlier today. This is the celebration time with family and friends, and when you're whether whether you're getting together with six or eight, or you want to get a group of fifteen or twenty, uh, we're all about it in every kind of occasion. Last night I got to have a stellar occasion, brother. I know you'll appreciate this. I got to have a fantastic night with my wife and my son. We dined in our restaurant, and we went to go see Hamilton last night. Ooh. And, yeah, and we totally decked it out. We said, you know what, we're going to take this time right now because, you know, Remy being a senior at UCF, and he's all over the board and working three jobs and doing all his stuff, and Maxine is busy as she is, and, you know, and me doing the thing at the restaurant all the time. Uh, you got to take that time for yourself. You got to take those quality moments. Let those experiences be the real presence in life that you give one another. And brother, last night we had a fantastic time sitting in our restaurant. Got to tell y'all, it isn't often that this ever happens, but being able to sit down, uh, started off with that ginormous shrimp cocktail. Hey, any of you that are shrimp cocktail fans, get ready to fall in love. I promise you. Big fat daddies, U8U10s, their ginormous shrimp, house-made cocktail sauce. I ordered that for the table. I had some crab cakes for myself. Uh, Remy had the cheese cigars. For those of you that haven't had our cheese cigars, think about fried cheese for adults. 
a wonton wrap. I think, Mark, you've had them before. Oh, those are awesome. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. So you take that wonton wrap, a mixture of three different cheeses, put it inside, quick dash in the fryer, pull it out, do a spicy pomodoro with that. My wife had the tomato basil soup and a little bit of a lighter version on that, a good hint of a clove of garlic that we're kind of chopping up and mixing in with each bowl, that kind of thing. Man, fantastic way to get started. Remy had the halibut. Beautiful fish for all of y'all out there that haven't had halibut. Think about a Florida flounder, but take and make it like 200 pounds or 300 pounds. Gigantic. Beautiful, nice, easy fish to eat, not a fishy flavor at all, and then we put on a saffron mousse on that. And don't forget, what does saffron do, everybody? It's great for your libido, so you can set up your stocking with that. Okay, there you go. Anyway, uh, let's see. Then Maxine had the asabuco, the lamb shank, slow braised overnight, that mushroom demigloss all over the top of it. And then for myself, I was feeling a little bit decadent, so I went for the rich Decadent sauce that accompanies our lobster ravioli. Mm-hmm. Hey, all y'all. Four to five beautiful raviolis that are in there filled with lots of, lots of lobster meat, big ginormous shrimp, nice-sized scallops. And, again, they ain't the little base scallops. They're the good U10, U12, U15-sized scallops on that and a sherry cream sauce all over it. I think I only ate about half of it. But, oh, by the way, guess what I'm having for lunch today? Hello. Yep. Yeah, go. exactly. Thank right. you. Yeah. yeah, so when we get done here. So lots of great food. It's about a time of celebration and exclamation, a proclamation of you hanging out with your family, friends, and the people that where you're at. If you want to have a little party with us, please let us know. If you want it to be an intimate affair, let us know. Uh, come on down and see us. This week we're open, uh, as, as we've mentioned today. We've got brunch going on tomorrow, Sunday dinner tonight and tomorrow but then everybody after sunday brunch we take the week off we shut down everybody at maxine's goes and gets away gets a little bit of a break because we're thankful for all the beautiful business that you're bringing to all of us and coming in and celebrating the passions of life we'll reopen on friday black friday right after brunch uh for dinner that night so after you've gone out and seen uh hopefully usa take down england and world cup you're going to come out and come celebrate with us do that with us and then uh, get on with the week and then uh, i do have one other special event real quick if i can just go ahead and put this out there on uh, december 4th uh, we are going to have joseph martins of sunday morning coming down uh, he's going to be live we're going to be doing the show we're going to open up early that also happens to be a little personal plug my birthday okay so uh anyway so we're going to have a fantastic time on that sunday so as you're looking to move forward and having some different ways to celebrate with everybody we'd love to have you on board for that too yep Go to Maxine's. No, you're good. Yeah, go to MaxineSunshine.com. Get all the information there. Make a reservation. I'm telling you, make a reservation. It's the best thing you can do. Plan in advance, and please reach out. As Kurt said, if you're looking for something for the holidays, they can help you out. Have a great weekend, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Much love. Peace. Uh, come back. We'll put a wrap on a Friday show next. Time for the latest news, gossip, trends, and off the wall stories. Trends. Ooh. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Just text a UCF baseball coach, Greg Lovelady. They just released their schedule. Saw that. An 11 day road trip in May to New Orleans and then at Ohio State at Wright State, where he coached, and then to Cincinnati. And I said, Are you trying to end my marriage? <laughs> and I said, Not. Nah. 
now I have to fly my wife to New Orleans for that weekend. It's like, you know. Yeah. Which is fine, but an 11-day road trip? <sighs> anyway, don't worry about it. Um, Chris will be back here on uh, Monday if Scott enjoys a well-deserved uh, extended uh, weekend. We're going to be here next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of a Thanksgiving week, and then off of Thursday and uh, uh, Friday. World Cup begins on Sunday. We'll have uh, daily <clears throat> updates and reports on our show uh, starting uh, next week. Outside of football, which is early tomorrow, Chris, you get the rest of the day. Hopefully we get a nice win and we're off the air by 3, 3.15 or so. That's beautiful. I don't think I've had a Saturday. I mean, minus last week, I don't think I've yeah. really had a Saturday. Any weekend plans? Just NFL football on Sunday. Nervous, huh? Cowboys, Vikings, huh? I mean, I'm always I'm nervous, nervous about the Lions, who are, you know, hot right now. I'm I'm always nervous. Yeah. You never know with the Cowboys. All right. Um, like I said, we're going to uh, be back here on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of uh, next week. Miss any of our program today, you can always catch it online at 96.9thegame.com. Also, the bridge that Mike and I on Fridays. Uh, the Gus Malzahn interview from this morning is also up at 96.9thegame.com as he previews the game against Navy. If you miss any of this stuff, just go where you find your favorite podcast. And if you type in the beat of sports, I don't even know how it gets there, but it just shows up. It's right there for you to enjoy. So click it up and uh, enjoy that. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, again, we'll be up early tomorrow for UCF football. 9 a.m. pregame kickoff is set for uh, 11 o'clock. We appreciate your time during the week. Um, and maybe you get some extra time now with the holidays to spend with us. And we're grateful that uh, you do this. We always like to end the week by telling you, do something kind for someone who does not expect it. Uh, they'll appreciate it. You feel better about yourself. Being kind is easy. Just got to work at it sometimes. Do something kind this weekend. Thanks for hanging out with us. Again, Chris Vasquez, producer. I'm Mark Daniels, The Beat of Sports.